Welcome to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFD News and Views and follow us at, at the Fintech Times. Hello, 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 and welcome back once again to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Tom, Francis, it is a pleasure to be chatting about fintech once again with you. How are you doing this week, Tom? What's up? I've been having a pretty good week. We've been smashing out the news and it's good to be back once again, sat down with you guys for another insightful and thrilling conversation about fintech. I sense some sass there and I don't appreciate it. It will be insightful and thrilling. Everyone always thinks I'm being sarcastic, but I mean it. (laughs) I mean it. Francis, how about you? How are you doing this week? I am doing very well. I'm very happy that the news is starting to pick up again. The last couple of weeks, I think, you know, everyone's been on their summer holidays, just been chilling, having a nice time. But I think things are going to start picking up again. So, yeah, no, I'm excited to chat some fintech today. Yeah, for sure. August is always a really quiet time uh, for us, but it is slowly picking back up. Uh, But Francis, what are you going to be talking about this week? So this week, I'm going to be talking about something from our monthly theme in Business Resilience. And that's if work from home is still working for fintechs. Awesome. And Tom, what are you going to be talking about? Uh, So this week, I'm going to be talking about the UK's new business climate hub that it uh, launched for the 5.5 million SMEs in the UK. Lovely stuff. And I am going to be talking about what Gen Z workers really want uh, within fintech. Um, But Francis, your, your article has intrigued me. So why don't you go first? Awesome. Yeah. So... This month, we're going to be discussing all things business resilience, really. Like, how can businesses really be showing their resilience during a tough economic time? I think it's no secret that fintech has suffered this year. 2023 so far has been a difficult year for fintechs. And so, yeah, I think some of the main topics that we're going to be discussing are some of the biggest cybersecurity trends, working from home, generative AI, and sort of looking at to the future as well in in what sense you know what is 2024 going to look like how how is it going to differ and is how is the climate going to change and really impact fintechs so in this article it was the last of our, our work from home segment we sort of were looking at the challenges and as well as that we were looking at you know just everything to do with work from home really and how employers can really protect their employees who are still making the most of this hybrid working environment so i only really wanted to discuss one of the big points that was brought up in in this article because i thought it was really interesting because it seems to be the case that the majority of the organizations that have found working from home to be successful are those that were established in the last four years since the pandemic began those are the organizations that have sort of had working from home at their core it seems or or remote working i should say because of course work from home doesn't mean necessarily that you're working from home it can be anywhere but I I wanted to talk about one of the contributions from Michael Edesis the associate professor at M1K LLC financial modeling and advisory service provider because he goes in in depth on on the last 40 years that he's been working remotely which isn't something that I think we're all too used to I think if you go to be honest pre-pandemic Working from home, I I remember seeing stats from uh, Statista, and it, I remember it just talking about how few. I think it was maybe ten percent of employees had a remote working option, 
which even that seems like a large number to me considering you know i think you could speak to whoever it was prior to the pandemic and nobody would have had a work from home experience but anyway what he discusses is he he talks about how for 40 odd years he's been working remotely working from wherever he is which ranges from the Thai island Machu Picchu and many other places Colorado's highest mountain or just working from home but towards the end of it he sort of says it takes a certain type of person and a sort of ethic to be able to really make remote working work for that matter and he says it's someone that has to be really happy with solitude and I think one of the biggest things that we've always heard and spoken about when we're talking about work from home is this idea of, I guess, I guess communication and this idea of, you know, the, the banter that you're missing out, the, the face-to-face laughs that you can have when you're in the office. That's the sort of thing that seems to make or break a, an organization at times, right? Because you, you've got to have that familiarity and you've got to have those bonds with your colleagues. But I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts and see if you agreed really that it does take a sort of type of person or a certain type of person, person I should say, to really make working from home work. Polly, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think I would kind of agree um, with that comment in that I don't think work from home is for everyone. I think you kind of have to strike a really, as someone who has worked from home since, gosh, the pandemic, I guess, 2020, which like, three years probably isn't that long a time, but it feels like a long time. Um, it is definitely a really sort of interesting thing because there's there's a lot of pros and cons to it especially from sort of my perspective and how like I like to sort of live my day and the pros outweigh the cons at least for me but there's certainly some days where I see you guys all down at the office having great laughs and stuff and I'm like oh man I wish I could be there um but obviously for me it's a distance thing rather than necessarily anything else because you guys are down in London um I think it's easy to blur the lines between a work-life balance um a lot more when you're working from home because you think oh I'll just you know if your legs like on your laptop and you're really like in on something you're just oh I'll carry on doing it or maybe you'll pick your computer back up after you've had some dinner or something just to finish something I think it's very easy to get lost in that rather than like going into the office and having like a set finishing time of five and you know you leave your computer at the office and you come home I think that's very different and it can get lonely and I think you kind of have to make it in a way that either a like um that Michael said that you're happy to be lonely or happy to be on your own for most of the time or you just kind of like fill up your time um with sort of interactions to try and sort of model that so like you know you have like zoom calls with people or you like go out to work and in a cafe or something maybe one day of the week to try and get that interaction and I think that's a really good sort of compromise because as much as I think being in the office is fun and you get to sort of see people and chat people and have you know talk in the kitchen while you're making coffee and things like that at the same time some days you're like because when I, I used to work in an office and some days it's like oh my god I just need to get this piece of work finished and I can't do that because every five minutes someone's coming to talk to me about something so it's nice to be able to almost like turn off your whatsapp notifications finish what you're doing with no interruptions so like, like I said there's there's a lot of pros and cons to everything and I know a lot of places are trying to sort of get people to work back in the office again um obviously we went through lockdown and sort of after covid everyone was kind of still keen on working from home but I feel like now there's a bigger push to get people back into 
the office and I think that's interesting because I think a lot of people have gotten used to working from home and sort of like the flexibility that it brings like I really like it and I think that even though some days I do wish I was closer to you guys so we could like hang out more or like go for a drink after work and stuff like that I think it still fits into my life so much better to have like the flexibility of I walk from my bedroom to my home office and I work there and then if I need to like pop out to the doctors in the afternoon it's like no big deal I can just make work later to make up for it sort of thing so it fits into my life but I do agree that you have to be a certain kind of person to enjoy it and if you don't like spending most of the day not speaking to anyone at all then no you definitely shouldn't work from home like at all you've definitely picked up on some interesting things there and i I can't help but agree right you you definitely do need to have that certain characteristic i mean talking on personal experiences i found that when i'm in the office i mean maybe it's because i didn't really have much of an office experience prior to the pandemic because i was still at university and my first job out of uni was was already remote working so i think that's probably it it probably gives a bias to to some extent but every time i've been in the office i've always found myself to be more distracted weirdly because there are so many people around and i maybe it's just because it's it's making up for lost time but every time there are people there i just want to have a chat with them and obviously that sort of stuff happens and it always derails away from work I mean, you can try and have a work-related chat as much as you want, but it's just never going to happen. Well, I mean, it will happen, but it won't. It, it always gets distracted in the end. But I've realized that, and this is going to sound so bizarre, but one of the best ways that I find working now is being on the phone, well, when working from home, that is, is being on the phone to someone else who is also working. And then there is that sort of quietness and you just hear each other working, but that sort of seems to motivate me more. It's really bizarre because... I think as a person, I think I'd probably rather be around other people. But at the same time, I feel like I'm more productive when I have that own, that own space. So it's really weird. And it's, um, it's a difficult situation to, to really find the right balance. And I guess it's just finding what works for you. So like I say, when, when I'm doing work, if I'm, if I'm on the phone to someone, out of 30 minutes, 20 of them will just be silent. You'll hear the clacking away of, of keyboards. And then for 10 minutes it will either be talking about something work related or something not at all but I tend to find that that's what works best for me Tom what are your thoughts yeah I feel like you've both really hit the nail on the head in all kind of aspects of the the conversation I think what um Michael was saying about it takes a a certain kind of personality I, I do agree with that to an extent I think like you both said there's definitely times where you're at home you know or even out and about in a cafe or something but you're there is that kind of feeling of solitude sometimes where you might not be able to call someone or get in contact with someone in that specific hour and it is just down to you to stay motivated and I think potentially for some people that motivation is harder when you're outside of a work setting like it's very easy like when I'm working from home it could be very easy just to get distracted by something else go oh I'm just going to do this for 10 minutes and I think like Polly said, you kind of, you really blur the lines between a bit of work, a bit of doing something else, well, you know, housework or something, you know, just doing something as a break. And it's very easy to rather than say, sit down in the office from nine to five, you sit down at nine, but you kind of get distracted by things throughout the day. I've I found this in the past. Uh, and then you end up still working at nine, 10 PM maybe because you had so many hours in the middle of the day where you weren't necessarily a hundred percent focused or 
working in the same way you might do in the office. But one of the things for me is I'm quite lucky in the sense that I go into the office once or twice a week uh, and I kind of have that hybrid style. Um, and one thing I say a lot is for me, I live just outside of London. I go into uh, the office in London and it takes me about just over an hour, an hour and a bit to get into work. And that's commuting is such a big thing for me personally is that when I work from home, there really is that feeling you, you can get up and be working in 10 minutes and you're straight at it. If you're motivated that day, you're going to get a lot done in that period. Whereas if I'm going into into the office, which I really enjoy doing, it's really important to get that kind of social aspect as well, especially, you know, for me, I find that I work a lot better if in the middle of the week I've been in the office and it almost like rejuvenates me for the rest of the week, Thursday, Friday, because I know I've had that kind of social interaction and, and activity going on a, on a, on a Wednesday or Thursday uh, away from home in the office. But in terms of commuting, you can lose, I can easily lose two hours of my day just sitting on a train, unable to work because the internet connection on the train is pretty dodgy most of the time. The data's not working when you're going for a tunnel uh, and you can lose your progress if you're not connected to the internet the whole time. So I can't really sit there and work while I'm on the train. Um, obviously cost of that as well. You suddenly, you know, for me, I save probably quite a lot of money. The fact that I don't go to the office Monday to Friday, just because trains, you know, where I live and basically in the whole of the UK, are so expensive, and there's not really any way to make those costs cheaper apart from not making the journey at all. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of pros and cons, but I feel like the more time goes on, the more people are getting used to the kind of work from home setting, and that'll be really interesting to see if like Polly said, this kind of reignition of a push towards back to the office can actually be successful when people have had two or three years of being away from the office completely in some cases, and then I'll be told, oh, you've got to come back in for whether it be the whole week or back to a hybrid setting. I think a lot of people actually might struggle with the reintegration back into the office rather than the other way around. I hate to always sort of end on this, but I, I after hearing what you've said, Tom, I think it really is just wait and see, right? I don't think we can really say anything else. I think at the end of the day, it's just looking to the future now and sort of you just have to give it time to see how everything plays out, see if if the, the reintroduction of the office is, in fact, going to be this huge benefit that I think a lot of employees think it's going to be or if, in fact, as, as we've sort of touched on, the benefits of working from home are, are superior. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Interesting chat, guys. Anyone fancy going next? I'll go next because I always go last. What we're going to be talking about now is what do Gen Z workers really want? Um, so there's a really interesting article uh, written for us by Bruce Martin, who is the CEO of Tax Systems. And he basically kind of talks about the potential implications of a generational shift and how Gen Z is redefining workplace dynamics and sort of challenging traditional norms. So I guess this does kind of follow on um, from your article just now, Francis, about like work from home and how that's kind of a bit of a shift in traditional working. And I think Gen, Gen Z are kind of also enhanced, enhancing, no, that's not the right word, um, but they are set to have kind of like a major impact on the workplace. Um, so a Gen Z is someone born between 1997 and 2012. So I think you guys will be Gen Z because I'm 1996 and I'm older than you. <laughs> We're 99. 90, uh, no, oh my god are you actually Francis that makes me feel really old even though that's only like four three or four years um but anyway Gen Z 
So basically, it's kind of he's kind of saying how because uh, Gen Z are raised were raised in like a digital era, they're coming into the workforce with a very different expectation of work compared to previous generations. You know, they've observed sort of like burnout. They've observed like mental health and the sort of rise in actually sort of considering mental health in the workplace from kind of not really considering it at all several years ago, um, especially with like economic insecurity as well. And then just, you know, obviously with COVID, that kind of comes into it too. And just generally, um, he believes that they're prioritising more of a work-life balance with passion projects rather than necessarily being like just working, like almost like a, uh, a working to live rather than a live to work perspective. Um, and I just thought it was really interesting because I think a lot of people get a little bit um, upset. That's probably not the quite the right word, but I think when you consider sort of, you know, the young people coming in and changing things and it's it's always been this way, so why should we change things now? And I just thought it was a really interesting view as to what the workplace might look like in the next few years' time. And I don't think any of it is is a negative thing. You know, I think having a really good work-life balance and being able to have really strong workers because obviously gen z being like raised on technology you've immediately got like a tech savvy workforce because all of them understand how computers work all of them understand how phones work all of them understand how like quite a lot of other different like tech work because they've been raised on it so you don't have that sort of um, education gap there but just generally speaking you know everything's going digital and so gen z being like very digitally savvy just kind of makes sense um, and so some of the things that he said that um, are likely going to change slightly in the workplace um, is certainly the initial engagement. Uh, so like the actual hiring process and applying process to jobs is going to change to be a lot more digitally savvy and um, a lot more streamlined in terms of actually applying for the job and getting the job rather than sort of like clunky processes of like printing off a CV and and all sorts of things like that. Um, they also think it's going to be a lot more tech savvy uh, in the workplace, which it kind of already is now. I mean, I don't know a workplace that isn't very uh, tech and internet savvy, uh, but that he thinks that it is going to be more so to make them a really fast paced and highly adaptable workplace. And Gen Z employees really want to work for companies with a tech first mindset and expect to keep updating their skills and knowledge, uh, which I think is really interesting. Um, and then also uh, capturing the next generation in terms of tax. And this one I thought was very intriguing to me because um, tax technology is apparently becoming a mission critical priority for accounting teams everywhere. Um, and I know HMRC is having a drive to make tax digital um, and all the rest. And that felt was very intriguing to me because uh, filing your taxes is incredibly difficult and very stressful so I really hope that that does change because it would make my life so much more easier um, but anyway I mean I'd love to know what you guys think you know obviously as token Gen Z's here um, do you think that the workplace is going to change as sort of people get older and join it um, or do you think people are stubborn and everything's just going to stay exactly the same because there are people who have been in the industry, not necessarily just fintech, obviously we talk about like all industries here, but people who have been around for a long time and like doing things the way that they're doing it. Um, Francis, what do you think? I'd like to say there's going to be an, a 50-50 approach to it because I think there's obviously been some startups in the last decade or so that have really adopted this Gen Z first approach, sort of prioritizing the things that that the newer generation wants, that that they want, I should say, even sort of a, a priority on ESG, for example, or or climate change, or 
Well, things like that. I think being aware of these issues is certainly something that is going to, I mean, it's undoubtedly going to benefit organizations that take it seriously. Whereas compared to the traditional organizations that perhaps think, like you said, we've always done it this way, we're going to continue doing it this way. Because they are the incumbents of the industry and they have such a large customer pool, unless something detrimental happens, I don't really see that changing. I think they're always going to have a strong hold on on the customer base just because, like I said, until something goes detrimentally wrong and they and they lose the the confidence of their of their clients i think up until that point they have they have it pretty much guaranteed but that isn't to say that these startups that have emerged aren't going to have an impact on the industry because they certainly are and i think in the next 20 years or so we're going to continue to see more startups and more organizations take these sort of gen z demands seriously and because of that i think there is going to be like a 50-50 almost in in terms of the traditional incumbents who have done things the way they always have and who will undoubtedly make adjustments to the the Gen Z preferences and is it Generation Alpha now? I don't know what comes after Gen Z. But whatever that generation demands, I'm sure is going to be slightly different. Perhaps it's more aware of certain situations. Perhaps it's more lax. We It will be a case of waiting and seeing. But whatever it might be, the startups that we see in the organizations that emerge are definitely going to be prioritizing that more than the incumbents. So I think it will be a, a 50-50 of, of how, of the different attitudes that we see organizations take. Yeah, I think you raised some really interesting points there. And I guess the kind of the question that it does boil down to is how much do employees or prospective employees, how much of an effect and an impact do they actually have on the workplace? Because obviously being sort of, if you consider being sort of very low rung on the ladder, like how much actual influence are you going to have in terms of actually changing the workplace? But then I guess if it comes to it where workplaces want to get fresh talent, they're going to have to do stuff to attract that talent and they want to keep the best talent. Um, so I think it's a really interesting um, thing to think about. But I mean, Tom, what do you think? I feel like something we've seen, like the article talks about the importance of having a digital savvy digitally savvy, sorry, workplace to kind of attract the the younger generation, Gen Zs. And I think that in part, or maybe the major part of that that's driven that is the pandemic and forcing companies to adapt. I think, you know, you, you spoke about, it, are people going to, you know, the older generations maybe say, I, I, I'm happy with the way things have been done. But I think the pandemic definitely showed that it accelerated in most senses digital in every sense of, of workplace and other aspects of life as well. And I think that kind of a, that attitude of, you know, the way we've done things for the last however many years is working fine has definitely been broken down by the pandemic and has caused people to realize that actually, you know, they've had to live with these kind of digital changes and digital advancements being implemented into their work life, you know, like work from home. And I think a lot of people that maybe would have originally said, I'm not happy with that kind of idea of working from home have actually during the pandemic tried it and realized this is actually a really positive change. And I think the pandemic is going to prove to be something that really even now continues to to drive change. And it, it really has, I think, also impacted the expectations of Gen Zs. You know, they're expecting now to have all the equipment in place. They're expecting companies to continue to evolve as technology evolves. So I think um, one of the points 
he made in the article is about how you know there's almost an expectation that they adopt the likes of AI as that continues to grow and that more menial tasks are completed by AI to allow the Gen Z talent that they're bringing in to work on the more important projects that they can put more time into and they're feeling like their time is being wasted less by smaller, more menial tasks. And, and you know, if they feel valued because they don't feel like their time is being wasted, then that is always going to be a workplace that is able to retain talent and attract new talent. So I think it really... I, I can't see a future where we don't continue to see faster changes maybe than we have in the last sort of decade before the pandemic. I think it's only going to see a sort of an acceleration of different technologies and different adoptions of technologies like AI is kind of the next thing at the forefront to change workplaces overall. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really um, interesting point for sure. I mean, but anyway, enough of that. Let's move on. Tom, why don't you... Uh give us your article absolutely so i'm coming a bit out of left field compared to those two articles um and mine's my article was basically about how the uk government officially launched its new uk business climate hub earlier this week and it aimed to help businesses reduce their energy bills cut their carbon emissions and provide access to new advice regarding sort of their environmental impact uh, and this new hub includes a free carbon calculator there's a suite of new tools to help businesses measure, track and report on their emissions and try and help them save money, essentially, by using less energy. So the hub includes advice on sourcing products from green suppliers, how they could reduce their emissions from freight and logistics, how they can cost effectively install solar panels and electrical vehicle charging points, how they can pay less for company electric vehicles, things like that that can you know not only help companies reduce their carbon impact but also help them save potentially a substantial amount of money and the hub is basically looking to help SMEs to do their bit to tackle climate change save them more money and reduce the the business and industry sort of sector which currently accounts for about 25% of the UK's emissions so what i really wanted to ask both of you regarding this is do you think this kind of solution is significant towards helping SMEs achieve their climate goals and business survival or do we maybe need more drastic impactful measures to try and cause any meaningful change so Polly what, what I want to get your take on on this kind of topic yeah that's definitely a big question um I certainly think that this hub is definitely going to be incredibly useful to a lot of people um, and a lot of small businesses specifically I think when you sort of are considering kind of your own environmental impact or like your carbon emissions or anything like that as a small business I think it can be very difficult to know where to start and so having a resource like this to help businesses to kind of just like lay it all out this is this is your carbon calculator this is a tool that can help you measure this track this because often tracking and measuring and reporting is kind of like the first thing you do need to do to try to figure out what changes can you make you know there's you don't need to worry about changing your carbon footprint if your carbon footprint is like zero obviously that's like a really dumb example but like it's good to start off with that way and I think then having the detailed advice on the sourcing products from suppliers and how to reduce emissions 
um, and explaining cost-effective ways of doing like solar panels, electric vehicles, all the rest, I think is fantastic. And I think it's going to be really helpful to small businesses. Um, and it's, it's just having something to ask and something to refer to, because I think a lot of the time, especially as a small business, especially if you're like maybe like a one man show kind of thing, you have to do it all. And it can be really difficult to find the time to sit down and you know do your research. And it's so important to be um, as environmentally conscious as possible nowadays, especially when you think about sort of customer loyalty with your business. It is a, a big consumer demand. Um, so I think it is fantastic and it will help them in the long run but does more need to be done I think it's a possibility I think this is definitely um, a really important hub for Britain's businesses and to help them take meaningful action against sort of climate change and do their bit that they can and to have this guidance in place to help them do that is really important I think it's definitely a step in the right direction I just wonder if there can be a little bit more help. Maybe they can be a little bit more support. I know one of the main kind of barriers to um, going green or however you want to put it is always going to be cost, especially to the smaller businesses. It's always going to be things cost money um, and things are quite expensive and maybe you can't afford to purchase the most green option or like, you know, you can't afford to install solar panels or whatever. So I think it, this is definitely a step in the right direction, but I would wonder if in the future there can be some more monetary support, like maybe grants that businesses can access or like green loans, um, which I'm sure many places already do. I think NatWest does a, a just green loan specifically for um, businesses to look for sustainable um, products and supplies and things like that. I think, don't quote me on that. Um, but I think that would be a really great initiative to see come into place and to really actually help people get the things that they need so great step in the right direction absolutely love it it's going to be so helpful but i do think there can be a little bit more to do but i i I don't want to take away from actually how fantastic i think a resource it will be yeah i I think you kind of took the words right out of my mouth uh in that respect because i was thinking a lot about the the hub is obviously a great step in the right direction but a lot of it is advice here's what you could do Here's the kind of options available to you, like solar, like like installing solar panels to reduce your energy costs, which have obviously gone crazy in the last couple of years. Like implementing electric vehicles into your company transport, things like that. But obviously, the main barrier, especially during a time where business survival is so difficult in the current economic climate, is that a lot of these companies can't afford this huge outlay for solar panels for electric vehicles, which everyone can see in the long term that is going to save them money. But right now, they don't really have the access to these large sort of cash outlays. And like exactly like you said, I think we could definitely see more done, especially in the kind of aspects of government grants or support in that kind of respect that can really help reduce outlay in these respects, but also be saving everyone money and making a big impact on on climate sort of reduction uh, over the next, you know, however many years. But Francis, obviously the king of devil's advocation i want to get your take on this it's funny you say that because i was literally thinking like how do i say this without playing the devil's advocate but polly already said everything that i wanted to say to be fair i wanted to bring up you know installation prices i thought that was probably where the biggest issue would would be and i and i looked on the website just to see some of the examples and i mean solar panels is one but 
when you click through on, for example, the production and cold storage and go on optimizing the motor systems, the advice it gives is check compressors are running properly, install variable speed and frequency drives, buy replacement motors. All these things cost money. And for a smaller organization, it really has to be a question of what do we prioritize here? Because they're not going to have an unlimited fund. And in fact, the last thing is, is get funding. And I mean, in this day and age, that is much, much easier, much easier said than done. So uh, there isn't really much more that I wanted to add, really, than what you guys have already mentioned. It's just an example of it is extremely expensive. And is it a step in the right direction? Yes, I think it is, because it, it at least brings awareness to it. But it's now making that that help and that change more accessible because you said here is what you can do. The next step is saying here's how we're going to help you achieve that. And I think that's that's what's next. Awesome. Anyway, well, thank you guys for uh, bringing those articles to the table this week and having a really cool discussion. Uh, if you want to hear any more about uh, anything we talked about today or any of the news from the fintech world, head on over to thefintechtimes.com and you can read plenty more news and insights over there. Uh, but really quickly, let's move on to what I learned this week. So each week, being on the editorial team at the Fintech Times, so much new news, information and insights are crossing our desks all the time that we thought it'd be fun to share that with our listeners. So Tom, what have you learned this week? So this week I came across a worrying report uh, which found that around 90% of working age people with disabilities in the US are not financially healthy. Uh, And this is from the Financial Health Network, which is the US-based authority on financial health, uh, basically revealing the impact um, that, you know, the poor financial health of people with disabilities across the UK and outlines how it can support uh, people with disabilities in the future with the likes of able accounts uh, and i thought that was just a quite a cool one to, to look out for uh, and keep an eye on in the future this week i learned that 51 percent of uk adults have or know someone who has experienced a financial scam attempt in the last 12 months equating to approximately 26.8 million uk adults and that's a lot of people um which isn't great so that brings us to the end of another podcast thank you so much guys for joining me this week and chatting Uh, i hope you enjoyed it and i will catch you on the next one another classic see you guys next week see you later thanks for listening to the fintech times news and views podcast don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversation using hashtag tft news and views and follow us at the fintech times 